Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, O Lord, as we approach your word, Father, we do so depending upon you to teach us. And Father, we ask that, Lord, you would be pleased to do just that, that by the uh, power, the great power of your Holy Spirit, O Father, you would open our hearts to your word. You would open your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. It's almost inevitably about this time in the service where my allergies start to go haywire. This is now the fourth message in our uh, series on spiritual warfare. And just a quick review. Uh, you see the word finally, uh, finally, that's alerting us that uh, Paul is now on his last exhortation. And I don't want to belabor this point, but I don't think I can say it too much. But the first three chapters of Ephesians really express who we are in Christ Jesus and what Christ has done to us. And the, the reason why I keep, I, I'm not trying to belabor that point. But the reason I keep bringing it up is because we default all the time to trying to do things in our own strength, don't we? Constantly. And we, need, we really need to be reminded of this all the time. Paul, for three chapters, has explained. Remember, who's he writing this, who's he writing this epistle to? To the saints who are in Ephesus. And through them, he's writing it to believers in Christ Jesus, wherever they can be found, correct? That's the intended audience for this letter. To the saints, those who are in Christ Jesus through faith. That is, that is the audience. And the Apostle Paul spends three chapters laboring to tell us just what God has done to us uh, through Christ Jesus. And it's important that we understand that, that uh, three chapters explaining who we are in Christ Jesus. We once were dead in our sins and trespasses, but just as Christ has been made alive and raised from the grave and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, so too those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ Jesus have been made alive by the same power and raised and seated with Christ Jesus in this sense uh, by the same power. And that's, that really brings us into that first, that first message. We looked at the word finally, and we looked at the exhortation. Be strong in the Lord, right? Be strong. It, it, we, we get this be strong business, but notice the phrase that comes after it. Be strong in the Lord. It's the idea of, of, of being strengthened by God uh, in the strength of his might. Again, if we might draw upon the, the wonderful illustration that Jesus gives us in John 15, when he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now, when Jesus comes and looks for us and gathers us up, he finds us laying in the yard. He finds us laying about. Branches, when they're cut off from the tree and they're left to lay in the yard, what happens to the leaves? 
What happens to the branch? Well, that was each one of us helplessly laying in the field until Jesus came and took each one of us and grafted us into the vine. Once grafted into the vine, now once established in the vine, now the nutrients that come up from the roots into the vine begin to flow forth into the branches and in their season yield leaves and fruit, correct? That's who we are in Christ Jesus. We are now, once who were dead, we've now been made alive. And now, in the strength of uh, his might, we are to put on the whole armor of God. We looked at this in our second uh, message in this series. Put on the whole armor of God. What is that about? That's about putting on Jesus Christ. It's about our union now with him. Again, think of the branches laying in the yard, grafted into the vine. Think about that. We're now in union with Jesus. We're now brought into Christ. This phrase, in Christ, occurs all the time in the New Testament, does it not? In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. I, I don't know. I think something like 80 times that phrase occurs. It's an important phrase. And when we're told to put on the whole armor of God, what are we told to do? This is a subset of our union with Christ. It's a subset of putting on Christ. Just as Paul says in chapter 4, that we're to put off the old, put off the old ways, put off our former ways, put on the new. That's the same thing as putting on Christ Jesus. And then last week we took a look at uh, the latter part of verse 11, uh, namely the schemes of the devil. Uh, we're to be strong in the Lord, verse 10, in the strength of his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that concerns our union with Christ, that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And my initial intentions were to, were to uh, really look at, the, look at who Satan is and uh, look at his schemes. And uh, the way it ended up turning out, and I apologize that for some reason the the message didn't get uh, recorded. I don't know, really don't know what happened to that. I, I, I didn't forget to push the button. We pushed the button, but sometimes when you push the button, things just don't work the way they're supposed to work. Um, I don't know what happened, but uh, I, I hope that it's recording right now. Um, but at any rate, what we ended up doing really was just looking at some of the names uh, of the devil. And the reason, one of the reasons why I wanted to expand that it's because it's, it's really, in our culture today, it's really been kind of cute to associate oneself with the devil. I, Tammy and I were in Costco's yesterday, yesterday morning. And um, I overheard it. There was a man who was kind of yelling loudly to another woman. He was jesting with her. And he said uh, something like, the devil be with you. Uh, or the... the uh, Something to that effect. And she looked at him really fun, kind of funny-like. And I was kind of curious about that phrase myself. And he goes, oh, no, that's just something that we say. It's just a joke. We've all grown up saying this man was probably in his 40s. And it really dawned on me, you know, the importance of taking a look at who the devil really is. If we really understand who he is, we wouldn't make jokes like that. We wouldn't make television programs that... That's the star feature is an angel fallen from heaven. That's not something we would do if we had even half an understanding of who the devil is. 
So last week we took a look at who Satan is. The title of the message was Knowing Your Enemy. Who is he? We, I won't go into all of the names. I had passed a handout last week. If anybody didn't get one and you want one, send me a text or something. I'll email you one or I'll get you a copy. But you know, I think there are more copies outside if you want one. And I won't go through all the names again, but uh, really chiefly and principally, we looked at the name Satan. Satan, that's a, uh, it's a Hebrew name, Satan. And it means adversary. It means uh, uh, really the principal and chief of the demonic realm. Uh, he is the captain, if you will, the CEO, the general, whatever name you want to give it, of the demonic realm. Uh, he is the accuser. And uh, I called your attention to the fact that when the translators of the Hebrew Old Testament got together to translate the Hebrew into Greek a couple hundred years before Christ, when they got to those passages where the Hebrew name Satan uh, was being used. Passages such as Job 1 and 2, which we're going to look at this morning, and Zechariah 3, which we looked at in a previous study. They translated the, the name Satan with the word Diabolos. And we talked about that a little bit last week. Diabolos, as Diabolos goes through its Latin, is morphed into Old English, and then comes down to modern English, it comes to us as the word devil. And undoubtedly, that is the most common name for him in our culture, the devil. Who is the devil? He is an extremely intelligent being, spiritual being, who hates God with a passion that is incomprehensible to us. And out of that hatred of God, uh, he takes that hatred out on the objects whom God loves. Namely, the church. It's not something that we want to joke and make jokes about. It's not something. He's, he's, this is a serious character uh, that as we uh, continue our studies, we're going to see. Now, uh, this morning what I want to do is really look at, uh, just begin to look at some of the schemes. Initially, I wanted to, I had a number of schemes in the outline that I passed out last week and Initially, I was going to go through uh, some of those schemes. I've kind of changed my mind on that. I really want to just look at one uh, this morning, and it's the scheme of affliction. I want to get that one uh, underway uh, this morning. But even as I began to talk about the schemes of the devil, it was William Gurnall who wrote extensively on this passage. On Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, or I think he might have went 10 through 20, he wrote something like 900 pages uh, it was, uh, the, the book was entitled The Whole Armor of God, and uh, in those pages he, uh, he says that, uh, the, that Satan has more schemes than an actress has costumes. Uh, so uh, this is, this is uh, certainly not exhaustive, but I want to look at the scheme of affliction this morning. And for that, keep your place in Ephesians, but uh, turn with me to Job. Uh, chapters, really chapters 1 and 2 we're going to look at. Uh, the book of Job is, if you're using the Bible that's on or near your seat, it, it, the reading begins on page 417. 417. This is not, uh, I just warn you as we, as we delve into this, this is not easy material. Uh, a lot of questions arise from Job chapter 1 and 2, and it's not my intention this morning to try to answer some of those questions. This is not a, an exposition on Job 
it might sound like one as we begin going through it, but this, we're not preaching on Job this morning. We're looking uh, to Job to see the activity of Satan, to see how he functions. And uh, there are a few things here that we need to understand about Satan that we see here. If you found a place in, in chapter 1, verse 1, we're introduced uh, to Job. We're told there was a man in the land of Uz. Uh, notice it doesn't say the land of Oz, it's the land of Uz. <laughs> a little humor, this is heavy stuff, so a little humor is helpful. Uh, there was a man in the land of Uz. We don't really know where this land, where exactly this land was. We have some idea, but we're not certain of where the land of Uz was. It's not important that we know this. Uh, his name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright. Now, when the scriptures speak of men as being blameless, it's sometimes easy to think, okay, here we have a perfect person. I mean, for the Bible to speak of an individual as being blameless, this must be, uh, this must be a perfect person. Uh, don't, don't fall into that trap. Uh, remember, we have to interpret scripture with scripture. And scripture says concerning human beings, there's no one who does good, not even one. All have turned aside. All have fallen short of the glory. So when we come across, and it's rare, but when we come across biblical characters who are described as being blameless, uh, please understand what this means is they're godly. And because they're godly, uh, they're in a posture of repentance regularly for their sins. As you read through Job, you'll, you'll, you'll see that Job is certainly not blameless. He's rebuked at the end of, of the book of Job, is he not? Uh, he is not uh, perfect, but he is godly. Uh, he is very godly. And when you talk to godly men and women, uh, you get a sense from them. You get a sense of humility from them that uh, they understand that they are sinners redeemed by grace and over the years have been humbled by that very fact. Uh, sinners redeemed by grace. And this is Job. He is, he is a blameless and upright Man, one who feared God, turned away from evil. Verse 2, he had seven sons, three daughters. Verse 3, he was in possession of 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He had many servants. Uh, so this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Uh, Job was a man of great wealth. Uh, so here we have a very rare individual, uh, a man with great wealth, who is godly, who is blameless, uh, who is upright, uh, a very rare character. Verse 4, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house, each one in his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. He was a family man. He was a, he was a, he was a godly man. Now, the scene changes in verse 6. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. This is a very puzzling text here. Uh, in many ways, the phrase sons of God uh, sometimes means men uh, in Scripture, uh, the people of God. Uh, other times, such as contexts like this, it's referring to angels. Uh, the sons of God or angels 
and they're presenting themselves before the Lord. That part is not so puzzling. We can say, okay, this is taking place in heaven. Where it becomes puzzling is Satan also came among them. Satan has been cast out of heaven. I don't think we can conclude that this is taking place in heaven. He's been cast out of heaven. Where is this taking place? It's very mysterious to us. I'm not, I, I don't, I, I, where is this taking place? Uh, that, that is a mystery. Verse 7, the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. That's a scary sentence, isn't it? Where is this character? He's somewhere on the earth. It's pretty frightening. Verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, If you considered my servant Job, there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil. Now notice Job's response. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? I would say right away, first thing is, Satan doesn't need any introduction as to who Job is. He doesn't say, Job, which one is that? Oh, it's that guy up in the... Okay, I got... That isn't what he says, is it? He's fully aware of who Job is. Why? Because he's prowling this earth, powerfully observing everything that's going on in it. Doesn't need any commentary on who Job is, does he? And furthermore, he is aware of the great prosperity of Job, isn't he? Because he says in his accusation in verse 10, have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? In other words, Satan would have already been working on destroying Job if he could, but you notice there's a hedge put around him. There's protection put around him. He's not able to do it. Because if he could have done it, he would already have done it. In the accusation, he says, you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. That's a nasty accusation. You know, and while we're, you know, I was thinking about this this morning as I was going over this, you know. There's a lot of confusion about judging. You know, this is kind of on the side, but it's a good place to bring this up. There's a lot of confusion about judging. People will read Jesus in the New Testament and say, Jesus says, don't judge lest you be judged. And people say, well, I'm not going to judge anything. Uh, Well, what Jesus is not saying, don't judge anything. We have to make judgments. If if we're trying to determine who we want to take in as friends, who we want to hang out with, we have to make judgments about that, don't we? If, we're, if, we're, if we have a situation before us and we're trying to, to choose whether we're going to do something, we're not going to do something, we have to make judgments, don't we? Of course we have to make judgments. But what we're not supposed to judge is the motives of a person's heart. Because we don't know that. And notice that's exactly what Satan is doing here. He's judging the motivations of Job's worship and service to God, isn't he? It's satanic to do that. 
He says, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he'll curse you to your face. Why? Because the only thing he's in it for is what you've given him. He's just in it for all the goodies. That's all. Verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now when we get to verse 13, there was a day when his sons, that's Job's sons, and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their older brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. The hedge came down, didn't it? The hedge that was around Job's business enterprise has come down, and the hedge that came around Job's family has come down. And Satan didn't waste any time destroying it. Is this the kind of character we want to joke around about? No way. You think of the crass evil that's taking place here. Notice how Job responds. Verse 20. Will the accusation stick? Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground. And what? He worshipped. And he said these famous words, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, there are some things I want to point out about this text. This text, I, this text opens up a lot of questions, doesn't it? There's something that I want to point out here about the text as we think about how how terribly evil and powerful Satan is we want to be careful that we don't fall into dualistic thinking what do I mean by dualistic thinking there's a there's a school of thought that's been around for a long time that says this that there is good out there and God is the champion and God of good and there's evil out there and Satan is the, is the champion and CEO of that. And that these two beings, these two gods, these two forces are on evil footing. And they're just battling back and forth. Okay, we don't want to fall into that. We see that Satan is, as the old uh, preachers used to say, he's on a leash. He's on a leash. You know, we might think... I was going to use the illustration of a rabid dog on a leash, but that's not enough. I would, I would rather use a rabid lion, for a lion is one of the most ferocious of all of the beasts of the field, is it not? Have you ever been to a zoo and looked at a lion? Tammy and I were watching a movie, uh, Robert Redford and Meryl Streep, and I uh, forget who else was in it. This was a few weeks ago. 
um, and it's a scene in Africa, anybody, what's the name of that movie? It's been around for, probably some of us have seen it. And in that movie, there's a couple of scenes where they're actually being attacked by lions. And they, they see, I don't know how they pulled it off. The, the scene is gripping, it grips your heart because there they are, they have nothing but these, these rifles. And there you see that the, the animal is in a, a charge. It begins to get into a fierce charge towards them. This is how we ought to think of Satan. But we need to put a leash around his neck as we think this way. He has a leash around his neck. Uh, a logging chain. He can only go out to the end of the chain. He can't go any further than the length of the chain. But as the old preachers used to say, listen, he will go out to the length of his chain. And God in his uh, providence, God in his excellence, God in, in, in for reasons only known to him, for reasons that we do not have the ability to comprehend, God will sometimes lengthen that chain. And that's exactly what we see happening here in Job, is a lengthening of that chain. But if Satan is allowed more leeway, if he is allowed to do more destruction, if he is allowed to do more mischief, he doesn't waste any time in taking it up, does he? We see this again when we go to chapter 2. We're back in this, um, this, this, uh, this council, if you will. I don't want to say it's a heavenly council, but it's, it's in the spiritual realm. Uh, again, chapter 2, verse 1, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord... And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? What's, what's Satan say? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. You know, he doesn't have a home, does he? Where would his home be? And it's, you know... As we think about Satan being the ruler of this world, you remember last week, some of you who were here last week will remember, I spent a little time on that one. You know, Jesus says now the ruler of this world is cast out. He's referring to Satan. And it's easy to get the idea that Satan's like the ruler of this world and God's the ruler of heaven and that's how this all works. That's not true. What's Jesus mean when he says the ruler of this world? Satan is the ruler of darkness. The Apostle Paul uses the phrase the, God, the phrase, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers in 2 Corinthians 4. What is he referring to? He's referring to the Satan is the champion, the leader, the CEO, the general of darkness, if you will. What is Satan busy doing? He's always busy trying to, trying to cause pain. And he will cause the... He will, listen, he will... He will the, the ends of his evil... No, no boundaries. Uh, he will conduct it uh, to, his, to the, the, the degree that he is enabled to. Now, in verse 3, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has... He will give for his life, but stretch out your hand and touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse you to your face. There's another accusation. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. 
Here the leash is lengthened, isn't it? But he's still on a leash. If Satan could destroy Job, he would do it. But his leash is not extended that far. Verse 7, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? There were, you'll notice some of you will notice there's a footnote there. Instead of evil, it'll say disaster. Some of your uh, texts may, may have a different word there instead of evil. And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Now, the point in bringing this up to you, bringing this to your intention, is we want to see, really take another look at just how evil Satan is. And secondly, we need to see that he's on a leash. He's on a leash. Uh, just as all of us collectively are no match for Satan, we need to remember Satan is no match for God. He is no match for God. He gave it his all uh, during uh, Christ's earthly ministry. He gave it everything he had. And in doing so, what did he end up doing? He ended up accomplishing for Christ the greatest good that's ever been accomplished under the sun. Namely, in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And when we read these texts, when we read these passages, and we say, wow, you know, I mean, Satan's on a leash. He's on a leash that's only so long as the Lord will allow. If, you, if your heart is starting to think, well, what kind of God are we worshiping here? What kind of God is this? Don't go there. Just because we don't understand this, just because we, did, just because we can't figure this all out, uh, doesn't mean we need to go there. God is not the author of evil, nor does he take part in evil. And if you have any doubts about that, then go to the cross of Calvary. What is taking place on the cross of Calvary? Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, hangs on a cross to accomplish the salvation of rebels who hate him. So if your mind's ever going that direction, where you think, man, maybe God isn't good. Go to the cross. Go to the cross. Does that make sense? Now, with this in mind, I got a, another text I want to share. Uh, if I could ask you to turn to Luke 13, page 872, if you're using the church's Bible. Just a couple more verses and we'll wrap this up. There we see Jesus going into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He's teaching and verse 11, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And if you look down to verse 16, Jesus there says, that this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years. Do you see that? Uh, Jesus heals her, but he attributes the nature of this, of this uh, disability that she has uh, to the activity of Satan. Do you, do you see that? 
There was a woman, verse 11, who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Verse 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. And then you go down to verse 16. This woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years. Do you see that? Here's another case of, of satanic affliction that was causing this woman to be bent over and unable to straighten up. Uh, we have another, a couple more examples. You don't need to turn there. I mean, if you want, you can. It's just in Matthew chapter 10, just two verses, in, or I'm sorry, Matthew 9, uh, two verses. And you might just listen to uh, nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 32. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to Jesus. Verse 33, and when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled. Uh, here, this man was mute, unable to speak. Uh, the, the nature of this, uh, of this malady was demon possession. When the, when the demon was exercised out of the man, he was then enabled to speak. We have something similar taking place in Matthew 12, in verses 22 and 23. Uh, a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw, and all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? Here, um, a demon-oppressed man is uh, blind and mute in this case. And uh, as the demons are exercised out of him, he regains his sight and he regains his ability to speak. Now, um, I will confess, after said, er, saying everything that I've said, I was tempted to skip this. And I don't want you to think I was attempted, that I was tempted to skip this because I, I want to shy away from the difficulty of this. That's not the reason. I think all of you know, I, would, I wouldn't say this to you if I didn't think you knew me well enough to know that I, I, I don't want to shy away from the difficult doctrines of the scriptures. Uh, my calling is to preach the whole counsel of God. Uh, I'm probably not going to live long enough to be able to go verse by verse through the whole Bible, but I do intend and do hope to uh, be out this long enough to teach every major doctrine in the Bible uh, before it's all said and done. I, I have no intentions of shying away from the difficult doctrines. The reason I was tempted to skip this is because we live in an hour where this is uh, uh, really so magnified that there are a lot of people trembling in fear that, uh, and they view everything that goes wrong in their lives as some type of satanic activity. Let me give you an example, an illustration. I was talking with a man, I don't know, a year and a half ago maybe, and he's not a, a fellow that I know very well, but in the course of our conversation, I, I, I said to him, how you been? He says, oh, Satan's just been all over me. I said, okay. And he proceeded to tell me that the, that the gas lines in his house uh, had to be taken up because the gas lines broke in the front yard of his house. And then sometime after that, the water lines broke. And then he was going to somewhere to do something and his car wouldn't start. And in the course of all of this, he's attributing all of these things to demonic activity. Uh, sometimes you'll hear this being taught as, you know, people see a demon behind every bush. Okay. I, I, the reason I want to make this the first one is that that's not how we ought to look at this. You know, in the course of talking with him, those gas lines were very old in his yard. The water lines were very old in his yard. And listen, everyone, if we've got 
you know, if, if we've got an old battery in our car and it gets really cold outside, there's a good chance the car's not going to start in the morning. And I, 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 I wouldn't attribute that to some demon. I mean, it, the, you know, I, I mean, we could attribute to we could attribute this to Satan activity, satanic activity, if we do it this way. That the ground is cursed. Why is it cursed? It's cursed because we've rebelled against God. And Satan incited us to rebel against God. He incited our, our forefather to rebel against God. So he, he was an instigator to all this, but we rebelled against God. And in rebelling against God, this world is cursed, meaning it's in a state of decay. If you put gas lines in, a, in the ground and you wait long enough, guess they're going to fail someday. Uh, water lines are going to fail someday. That's why we have plumbers. That's why we have a crew that works for the gas company. I mean, and God in his providence helps people make a living through this, uh, this kind of thing. So uh, as we go forth from here this morning, let's not, let's not um, try to attribute every single thing that goes on to us uh, as um, uh, satanic activity. And if you'll turn back to our, our, uh, our text this morning, I want to, in closing, say a couple of things here about verse 12. The Apostle Paul says in verse 12, Ephesians 6, verse 12, he says, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Notice the plurality of all of this. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Notice there's an ass there. Against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers and the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. As you hear me through this series speak about Satan, okay, and this goes back to the fact that Satan is very powerful. Uh, he is indeed uh, ex extraordinarily intelligent, but don't get the impression that he's omnipresent. In other words, don't get the impression that he can be in more than one place at one time. He can only be in one place at one time, just like we can only be in one place at one time. However, you will hear people speak about Satan when they're speaking about demonic activity. And it's not wrong to do that. Because Satan is the leader of the demonic realm. And he has a cohort of I don't know how many fallen angels with him whom we call demons. But as one writer has put it, there are so many fallen demons, there are so many of them, that he's practically ubiquitous in, the, in this world. In other words, it's like he is everywhere. These, this realm is focused on one thing, destroying us. Destroying us. And it's amazing that they can be that focused because wherever there's evil, there's chaos. Evil brings chaos. And evil of this magnitude, there's a tremendous amount of chaos associated with it. But this goes back to that. They hate God so much that they're able to be unified in this one thing. Unified in destroying the people whom God loves. Does that make sense? So we don't want to be making jokes about... Uh, about associations with, uh, with the devil. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, we thank, you for, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Father, that, Lord, you, you have given us this information that, Father, we would not be ignorant of who the devil is or ignorant of his schemes. 
But Father, you've also given us your word that we would understand that you're far more powerful, that he who is in us is much greater than he who is in this world. And Father, we thank you that by being called to you, O Lord, by being brought into Christ Jesus, we have been delivered from this horrible reign of darkness. And Father, we thank you that that is the case. And we call on you, Father, that you would uh, continue, O Lord, continue, O Father, to uh, draw men and women out of this evil darkness that uh, is so consuming our valley, O Father. For we are either with you or we are with the realm of darkness, one or the other. So Father, we pray that, Lord, you would be pleased uh, to awaken us to the danger uh, of uh, satanic activity, uh, not that we would uh, start trying to see a demon behind every bush, but that we would be mindful that uh, there is a powerful enemy out there who is seeking to destroy uh, all that you love, O oh, Father. But may we be equally mindful, Father, that in Christ Jesus we are truly safe and that we find refuge from his schemes by putting on the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And to these ends, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.